Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by The Letter H. Aw, thanks, Letter H. You're my favorite letter. Let's start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by The Milkmaster 2000. There's a better way to pour your milk, and it begins with The Milkmaster 2000. Operators are standing by while supplies last. Welcome, everyone, to The Pestle. <laughs> I am Wes. And I am Todd. And we're filmmakers. We like to discuss, review, analyze movies from the standpoint of people who, uh, you know, play around in the industry a little bit uh, in varying degrees. Todd's a full-time producer. I've been a full-time writer-director, uh, filmmaker for, I don't know, almost right at 12 years. Um, this is my 12th year uh, on the month. And so crazy time flying right on bicycles man i remember when i remember when you quit that job to do this and it was crazy it is and what what's funny about that is i just wanted to do this for them for this uh media company um because they had me doing more analytics and you know running at the time it was like the largest youtube channel in the world and full of you know mediocre DIY content. And I just wanted to be, do more creative stuff. I'd been acting for, you know, six, seven years at that point. And, uh, I just, I just wanted to be more creative and get on that side of the, the, the team. And they were like, nah, uh, we like you where you are. And I was like, okay, well, nah, <laughs> like I'm out. Um, and I left and then of course they started hiring me to do the thing I, I wanted to do in the first place, just slowly piece by piece, you know, built a, a little bit of a career and it's been fun. It's been interesting. The, the twists and turns that goes along with almost accidentally. Cause really I left to, to do acting along the way, just kept working on the filmmaking aspect and just fell really in love with telling a whole story from soup to nuts and just building it out. And it's crazy just because I, I started really doing more traditional work and then transitioned into doing a lot of VR, AR content, and now feeling like, whoa, I spent way too much time thinking about 360 content. I need to be focusing way more on traditional two-dimensional stuff. And it's just crazy how quickly transitioning away from that stuff and you're not getting your reps in, you're not getting your practice in. It's like, oh, wait, I need to make sure I'm doing those things um, because you know, technology is moving, you know, what, you know, you're, if you're used to shooting, uh, on HMIs and whatever, uh, keynotes, like, you know what, the, no one's using that stuff anymore. You need to make sure you're, you're getting the latest, whatever Titan tubes and apertures and whatnot. And so just getting your reps in, making sure you're staying on top of your game. Um, and I find myself that over the last couple of years, like, okay, hold on, let me make sure I'm thinking through, you know, normal production work, uh, and putting it together a new reel and leaning into things that I wasn't excited about before. I wasn't excited about commercial work and I'm, I'm getting more excited again about more traditional, just commercial cinematography. And it's like, Oh, Hey, this is fun. You know, this is a whole different element and something else I can lean into and push myself in new directions. Like what's scaring me right now? Okay. Go scare the shit out of yourself doing that stuff. Like, cause that's where your growth is. Whatever's scaring you in the moment, is where your growth is waiting for you. And so I'm excited to, to kind of open up old 
uh, habits again and say, okay, what else can you learn? Where else can you get better? Where else can you, you know, grow? Yeah. I don't know what, what scares you? What, what do you need to be doing that you're not doing? What scares me? Um, clowns, man, that's, that's a good question. Uh, I, I think if I have to pick something, not that I'm avoiding doing it, mm-hmm. but is playing live, playing music live oh wow uh right now scares me again i'm not avoiding it i don't have a band um out here in california but it's but it's funny that you say that just me on the outside hearing that it's not because you're inexperienced yeah (laughs) yeah how many live shows have you done oh hundreds yeah hundreds probably getting upwards of a thousand at some point right yeah probably Um, yeah depending on what you consider a live performance i mean if it's an audience it's live that's um, true and my god like yeah Yeah, i I don't know i i and yet like it's like man i haven't done it in so long i what's that feel like it nerves and yeah doing it on a new context yeah i don't know how to handle the 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 nerves necessarily like I, I, they're all they were always good you know it wasn't like a ever like a god i wish i wasn't here kind of thing yeah if you're not used to nerves then they feel wrong they feel like you're doing something wrong or like uh, that you want to run away i it was funny like when i stopped playing music years ago and i went into triathlon i had the nerves oh i had i had the i had way worse nerves than when going on stage going on Whoa. stage is like you know you got butterflies and stuff yeah. like you know but but it was always good because as soon as you started like it went they went away but like right before you like felt you just felt like this energy surging through you but before a a race i was always i was just scared i was just always just so scared like okay this is gonna hurt for a long time and uh it's gonna you you might die at the beginning <laughs> <laughs> in the swim so <laughs> it's terrible um uh so yeah so was, i had that now i don't have either of those things because i don't perform live and i'm not racing anymore so um i'm just kind of comfortable in that regard uh, but yeah i would say that's probably what i'm scared of it's a good question i haven't asked myself that in a long time that's really cool yeah, yeah. so i don't know uh listener like go scare yeah. yourself like go do something that you don't feel comfortable doing and then do it until you do feel comfortable until it becomes your comfort zone. Um, mm. and then find something else that scares you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's scaring us today, bro. <laughs> exactly. I was waiting for that transition. I was like, come on, let's do it. Let's do it today. Today. Uh, we are covering fury, which is, it is streaming on Netflix now. So, uh, at least at the time of this recording. So if you, if you have not seen that film, please pause this episode, go watch it. We're going to spoil a lot of stuff. So much to talk about. Uh, we'll look at some of the cinematography, of course. Uh, look at a little bit of the contrast as well as motivating light. And, of course, we will dive a little bit into the story and writing, discuss Norman's arc, some of the sound design, and other such stuff and things and stuff. And a quick synopsis of the film. A grizzled tank commander makes tough decisions as he and his crew fight their way across Germany in April 1945. It's written and directed by David Ayer. Cinematography by Roman Vazianov. Uh, it's featuring Brad Pitt as Don, War Daddy. 
Logan Lerman as Norman, Shia LaBeouf as Boyd, Michael Pena as Gordo, John Bernthal as Grady, and Alicia von Wittberg, Wittberg or Wittberg, if it's German, I don't know, uh, as Emma. We trapped an entire crowd army, pulling back into Germany. We fucked them up. Yeah. There was dead crowds and horses, busted up tanks and cars for miles. Miles? Hmm? Your eyes see it, but your head can't make no sense of it. And we go in there. And for three whole days, we shoot that wounded horses. All day long, son of the sundown just shooting horses. And there were some hot summer days. I never smelled them like that time. Do you know how you kill a horse? You pat it on the, pat it on the forehead, no? And it becomes your fate. It goes like this. And then you shoot it right through the spine. You sound of it? The fucking... Screaming horses? And do you remember that, Don? All the black clouds of flies just buzzing around. It was like being in a, in a giant beehive. But you weren't there. A real fine story. Pleasant mealtime talk. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It is what happened, Don. What happened happened. What's going to happen is going to happen. Sitting here playing house with a couple bitch crowds ain't going to change a fucking thing. Shut the fuck up. Why should I shut up? You shouldn't. about killing people um and I, really that's what this movie is about um it's so fascinating that they kind of rediscover their humanity by talking about killing horses like the horses didn't do anything to them they're innocent that's taking innocent lives and it's you know a burden that they're carrying not the burden and maybe it's a displaced you know a sense of horror whereas if you can't process killing humans you, now you can kind of process it through the killing of these horses um i don't know how to process that scene <laughs> what sticks out to you i guess about that scene and just about this movie um i mean i think you just put it in perspective i think it's perfect because I, I was watching it again thinking like how yeah how do we talk about this scene what's the what's happening and i think that's great right it's just great writing, man. <clears throat> it's great writing where we can sit here and we talk about movies every week. We watch them, you know, daily almost. And, and we're, we kind of taught ourselves how to analyze stuff like this. And then we're watching this scene and we're thinking, and I'm thinking, how the hell do we talk about this? What, what is going on right now? And I, I think it's great because it's, it's just so many things are coming to a head at this moment. Each of these guys are individuals. 
each of these guys have their own feelings and emotions and they change throughout the film. Uh, so you have Boyd, Gordo and Grady, right? So we have, we have these guys, they love Don. They love him. He's, they would, they will, they obviously will go to war with him. They'll die with him. Whatever he tells them to do, they will do. And in this moment, they feel so betrayed by him. They feel like, you remember this terrible thing we went through? That we went through? That this kid was not there? You know, let me remind you of that. And then, and Don allows them. He knows the story. He doesn't need to sit there and listen to them retell it. He knows it. And it's not, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like explanation for the sake of the audience either. It feels like, mm. like because of what we know that they've already been through, that we've seen them already go through, you know, and, and the failings of Norman, you know, the, when the tank went ex, uh, at the very beginning, he fails, he doesn't kill those kids and they destroy the tank and right in front of him, which was, Oh my God, what a way to basically start a movie. So, we see Norman, we know he's green, he's terrified, he doesn't want to act, he's already failed, and yet, and yet, he gets to have this experience, you know, having, like, uh, having uh, lunch um, with two beautiful girls, um, I mean, making love to one, like, it, it was just, it was just too much for them, so they they needed to, they felt like they needed to bring him back down, and once once he was done allowing them okay that's enough now let me remind you of who i am and thank you for my, reminding me of that now let me remind you of who i am you know you're right because they, he does let them do a lot of stuff and it's not like that's the only one because yeah the audience needs that exposition it's you're right because how how often does he let them just go on you know on these weird t- i mean he lets grady john bernthal's character just terrorize that girl yeah for a while like he lets him get away with licking her egg and you know breaking her spirit and doesn't say anything to him about it like he's letting because i think he also knows they can get it out here or inside the tank yeah they can't bring this energy back to the tank and so great point man (laughs) you know it's like he's He's really like this other, I don't know, running the temperature of the tank to keep it cool at all times. He's letting these valves press and release, and he's keeping all that in tune so that whenever it's time to go to war, everyone's ready for war. Um, And it's just this very precious balancing act that he's constantly going through. He's like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain, just pulling all these levers, although you just don't see him doing it um, because of how deft he is at, at handling everything. Oh. Dude, so so great! What a great leader! And let's just start off by saying, I mean, any war movie with Brad Pitt in it, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, like, yeah. come on. <laughs> of course, we'd love to see watch him destroy Nazis. Like, it's like my favorite pastime. <laughs> and what I first thing I wanted to say, really, about the entire movie was how brilliant is it to tell the story <laughs> inside of a tank? Like, think uh, because when I watch World War II movies. It's always, you know, these, maybe it's a battalion or it's a band, a group of guys who are trying to, you know, move across the country and then some tanks show up and they, ha- they have a hard time with it, but they eventually destroy the tank. 
it's like, you know, a lot of times yeah. what happens. Or the tank, you know, is on their side and it's relief, right? Right. Yeah. Because exactly. they're, they're unstoppable. It's a tank. Like that's yeah. a whole saying in society now. <laughs> like yeah. exactly. Uh, and yeah, you're right. And so now, well, what's it actually like to be inside the tank? Are you unstoppable? Yeah. And you're not unstoppable. <laughs> so and to learn more and you learn a lot about the tanks too. You know, some of them have that armor, like that the one Nazi tank that they the just tiger. could not destroy. They kept shooting and couldn't destroy it. And the the it felt like a it was so it's so weird. It's a it's like a submarine battle almost. It it felt like mm. you know, like pull forward. Now when I when I yell hard right or whatever and then like uh and then fire it felt like a slow motion <laughs> kind of like just like a slow motion battle where you're sitting you're thinking could they just get out and run around like no probably not but <laughs> probably the not. point is the po- point is is that that these tanks are not indestructible and they are full of people they are full of men and to remind us of that by telling a, a story of 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 one of them is just fantastic and it really, it becomes our home as the viewer, you know, when so many of these, um, uh, and they're all great, but so many of these war films, especially like World War II, World War One, where you have a lot of soldiers marching, you don't have like a home base, like a, like a, a place where you feel as the viewer, like, like this is home. And you have that here in this tank with this tank. And so when the tank breaks down at the end, you're, you're like, and you know, the, the mm. army's coming. You're like heartbroken. You're like, wait, this is home. Like, what, what are we going to do? And then they're talking about running away. You're thinking, no, 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 don't abandon your home. And, but yet in my heart, I'm thinking, yes, abandon your home. Just go run, Be, like live, live. So, so yeah, it's just a, a brilliant idea to tell a story from the point of view of, of, you know, the tank and then these guys and to inter- introduce a young, very green, like so green, he doesn't even know how to work a gun, gunner, essentially, um, who fails and then succeeds, right? Um, and I don't mean, and when I say succeeds, I don't mean lives, uh, even though he does. I mean, he succeeds. He doesn't, he, he stays there with the men. He doesn't abandon them. He fights to the very end. And yes, he's scared. And man, I just love all the acting in this film and Logan Lerman, what else he's, what else has he been in? Cause this kid was incredible. I just love his, when, when you first meet, what, what has he been in? Oh, perks of being a wallflower, which I love. Oh man. I need to go back and watch that. Yeah. But when the, when the tank first at, at the beginning, when they get their orders to leave the base, and he's first in the tank and they're they're leaving the the base the look of fear on his face is fantastic i mean i i i really don't think it could have been done any better honestly i believed it every second of it and there there was never a moment where i felt like oh that was kind of a lax delivery or that felt fake or unjustified or too much or whatever not enough it was always it always just felt right and what do i know i've never been in war but I can tell fear when I see it on somebody's face. I can tell concern or worry. I can tell anger when I see it on someone's face because I'm human. And I can tell if it feels genuine. And it always did. And of course, you know, you're always going to get a good performance from Brad Pitt. But he's always usually this like leader-esque kind of guy. And he plays that role really well. 
Um, Shia LaBeouf is uh, like fantastic. This is one of my favorite roles of him. He ha- he does have this this way of convincing you to love him I, in any role that he's in. I don't know how even even the really yeah. difficult ones, you know, yeah. um, Honey Boy, Honey Boy. Exactly. I was just thinking that I still love him. And uh, uh, and he just brings that he brings himself to to the to the the film. But anyway, yeah, it, Norman's character is just fantastic. And in the end, you're thinking wh- when he knows he's going to die, like he thinks oh, I'm going to die. He, you can see the scare, the fear in his face. He's like, <laughs> he's like starts breathing heavy. Like, I, I don't know what to do. What do I do? What do I do? When they're about to come into the tank at the very end. And we're sitting there thinking as a, as a viewer, like, I, I don't know if I can handle him dying. It's one thing, the other guys, mm. you know, the other guys we've, we've, there's, they're like gristled and seasoned and, and they, they, this is what they signed up for. And you know, that, you know, we've watched them do some really, really difficult things. And, but Norman, like he's too, he's just too young. Like, you know, we're thinking, how is this possible? Uh, and you know, it just happens. Like finds that way that, that, that door, he tells him about the door and we're thinking, Oh, and for them to never address the door throughout the entire film until the very end. That's so that's great, man. Uh-huh. That's just so great. Why? You don't need to tell us about it. There's no need. There is no reason to know there's a door there because there is no escape. You are here. You are not going anywhere. And yet this father figure-esque Don, he he gives him the way out. He's he he saves him. He tells him, it's okay. Go, go, go. Live. It's it's just a wonderful, wonderful freaking film. And yes, I'm sure that there are in inconsistencies and them just like mowing all of the ss troops down and for hours i guess it felt like i don't know like i don't know that that would be that that would happen but i i totally forgive it because come on it's a it's a nazi film you want to see them get mowed down right so i yeah and norman stepping in and it's interesting that i think in like three ways at least they really emphasize that he he is young. One, his age difference between him and the others is is one way where he steps into the frame. And you're like, oh, he is an outsider. Um, he is he's green. But then, just the uh, the makeup difference, right? He's it's just yeah. He's uh-huh. clean, like fresh pressed. Like did you, mm-hmm. did they just mint you at the army factory? Yeah. Then on top of that, just in case you're not paying attention, the decisions that he's making reinforce both of those things. Like, yeah, he hasn't got his hands dirty, you know, metaphorically and pushing him through. And so it makes sense. You get to the end of the film that he survived. And I think there's, I feel like watching this movie, that's kind of my takeaway is what does it mean to show up? And, and Norman's such a useful element in so many ways. We're at the end of the war, the war with Germany ends in May. This is in April, you know, so we're, we're less than a month out from the war being over. And if you were to just plop us in with this unit, that's been going for three years, you know, made their way from Africa all the way to the heart of Germany, then you're just kind of probably feeling a little gross and, and like just watching these guys effortlessly kill other people. It's like, there's, I guess, a thing you can watch and take away from that. I don't know that it would be a very satisfying watch. And so inserting Norman, who needs to come to terms with what it means to do what they're doing, 
to be in war and to make the decisions that you have to make in war and to find it in yourself, you know, to not just, you know, do your job, but to not hesitate and to lean in and to be psychologically okay with doing all this. Like we have to watch Norman wrestle with it and fight his own team. He's fighting Don, you know, and Don is forcing him. Don is trying to do what he thinks it takes, you know, and Norman shows up and our Bible guy, right? Boyd, uh, the who sermonizes every chance he gets. What, what does he say? What does he say? And I love the way, the use of religion uh, in the film. And for us, it's Christianity, but I guarantee any other country, you can insert any other religion here, Islam um, or, you know, Hinduism or Buddhism. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how pristine your religion is trying to make you. Whenever you get into war, you're dealing with the same stuff no matter what. And so for us, inserting religion here is really nice to have this line coming from Boyd when he says, just wait until you see, until you see what a man can do to another man. Like that's if, if, if that comes from Grady, it doesn't mean a lot because that guy is the animal in us. I feel like all these characters are kind of some type of archetype within us and they all come together to form one person, right? The, you have the brain Don, um, you have the animal Grady, uh, and you have the direction being provided by Gordo, uh, which is like Spanish for fat. <laughs> like it's funny because he's not a big guy, uh, but yeah. it makes me wonder where he picked up that nickname along the way. And then you have, you know, the 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 part of us that's trying to hold on to some sense of religion um, or God, uh, and that's Boyd. And then you have, you know, Norman or conscience trying to get out of this war intact and and so you see this all coming through the lens of norman as he's wrestling with taking lives and it's not until he really even the first lives he takes aren't very satisfying to the rest of the crew now don because it's the 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 first time he really squeezes the trigger right is whenever those germans are are burning and he's just trying to put them out of their misery. And so it's it's kind of an easy end for him of, okay, I've killed them, but it was a mercy kill. And and Don is over here encouraging you, yep, good job, stack them up. Like all he sees, and he's trying to reinforce and encourage his guy doing his job. And of course, uh, Gordo leans over, he's like, no, should have let him burn. Like, what are you doing? Um, you don't get it yet. Uh, and so there's still all this conflict, even when he's trying to do the right thing. And it's not until he suffers a loss whenever he has something taken from him, right? Emma, which is whoa, hardest part of the film. Dude, yeah. You get through the end of the film. He's the one thing that survives. And it's like the last lines of the film, he's loading up right into the truck. And what does that guy say to him? You're a hero, boy. You know that? And it's asking this question of, is that what it feels like to come home from war and be called a hero? We experience this whole thing through him, and we know he does not feel like a hero. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful... Even though he is. He is. You know? 
But how can you feel like that? How can you feel like that when you have, have one done the things you've done, like heroes, you've always been taught heroes don't do that kind of stuff, right? The, but you've had to do those things. And then, you know, you, the way you survive is you like hide in the very end. And, and just the things that you've seen, I can't even, I can't even imagine how you feel, but what a great way to end that, to hear that person say that to him and have him respond to it by not with no response at all. Right. Just looking at the tank as they drive away. Just man, this to me is what cinema, what makes cinema so great. You know, we're asking these questions. We're like saying these, we, we watch this film and it's a hard film to watch, you know, but in the end we're sitting here having these conversations and we have, maybe we have differing thoughts about things. Maybe we have the same thoughts, but either way, they're like really good questions that are kind of existential in a way. But this was just a little two hour movie about a couple of guys in a tank, you know, but is it really just about a couple of guys in a tank? No, it's not. And that's just such a beautiful thing about, about film in general, you know, like why it's why books are so good. Books are, they're so good because you can put in your head what you see from the page you can create it right and this is kind of given to us in a way a little bit more but you a good film won't give you everything it'll make you ask the questions and not give you the answers i really feel like this movie is such a great combination of both of those things uh but yeah anyway completely agree and I do love that they all die at the end, not because obviously we want our troops or anyone to die in war um, necessarily, but the fact for me watching a war film, it's always a line that's being ridden road um, where you're glamorizing war. And some people ascribe to the idea that you cannot make a war film of any kind without glamorizing war. Like it's just inherent in the fact that you're spending time in war. You can't make an anti-war film with a war film. I forget who, you know, made this, this commentary, but it might've been Warner Herzog. This popped up in a, a, a thread on Reddit, uh, like a couple weeks ago. And it's a fascinating question, but it, it, to the degree that you can, you need to have an ending. I think that reinforces the idea that war is bad and, all these dead bodies. Yes. That's the, the impact of these guys, you know, making a stand against, you know, evil. And they do a good job of reinforcing like the SS is, you know, the worst of the worst. And, you know, there's a certain joy they get out of, or that we perceive that they got out of doing what they did. I mean, you have this guy who's hanging kids, right. Um, because they won't fight. And that guy gets mowed down. Not a lot of sympathy there to watch that guy get killed. And yet, like, we are watching some exciting stuff. Like, the, the tank battle at the end with the tiger, it's exciting. And it's fun, you know? As much as it is heartbreaking and, and gross and just crushes your spirit to see these guys get devastated. Like, the, the, the gunnery sergeant, whatever, you know, popping out of the tank that gets ripped by a bullet, uh, by a tank shell. Uh, is just brutal. And whenever you see Roy go down, 
Like I didn't know Roy's up and Roy's name up until five seconds before he died. And yet I'm like, Roy died, <laughs> you know, uh, there's a certain amount of it's conflicted and it's the nature of a war film to show, uh, and make it exciting. Like is where the glamorizing comes from. Um, and it's really, really hard to make a war film that doesn't glamorize war. And I think it's done. Um, and, and maybe this will be your recommendation. I'm curious what you're going to recommend at the end of the episode, but it's, it's a, it's a thing to tackle. And to the extent that you're going to pull back away from it, I think you need to show that sacrifice that it wasn't fun. Look at our heroes. Now they're dead. Um, and this is part of what goes into American culture. Uh, we have, you know, the largest military the world has ever seen, you know, it's not even remotely close. Uh, you can stack up the next several, um, largest militaries in the world and they're still not going to equal us. Um, and part of what goes into that is not just the trillions of dollars we pour into, you know, the, the military, but also the culture that we sustain through movies like Fury. Like it creates an atmosphere where, you know, kids want to join the military and that's a whole other kettle of fish, but of why, you know, they recruit and, you know, who's getting recruited, all that kind of stuff. But seeing, you know, this in, it helps to see you, people do die in war and the people that you're rooting for and that you come to know and love and respect, um, who are trying to do the right thing. And they're finding ways to do that, um, even though it's hard. Like, it's a very big, messy spaghetti, you know, meal to, to take down. And it's good to see the consequences and to see that sacrifice and to feel it emotionally devastate you. Because the last thing you want to watch in any movie is Brad Pitt die. <laughs> you just don't want to see that. It doesn't matter <laughs> yeah. what role it is, uh, let alone one where we, along with Norman feel so much conflict and it's cool too because we don't necessarily side with norman the whole way through mm -hmm. like you said watching norman hesitate and get a whole crew killed man brutal. that's brutal it hurts and to see that we automatically understand you know we're on we're on don's side until then don is like got a soldier you know hostage and are we, are we taking prisoners? Well, uh, not this one, you know, and he's forcing literally the gun into his hand and pulling the trigger for him. Now is Norman complicit? I don't know, but that's the military. Like you're there and you've signed up. You're, you're, you're just a weapon. You're being pointed in the direction of war and your assignment is to go and kill people. And, and so there's so many metaphors you can pull out of just that of Don grabbing his hand and putting the gun in it and squeezing the trigger for him it's like he did it but he did he really is it his responsibility was it just an order was it something he was forced into war is so messy that way and this movie is making so many interesting points and emotional and to your point todd like it's so emotionally complex and it's forcing you into asking all these questions even if you don't think you're asking them you're feeling it emotionally one way or another. You can't escape this movie um, without emotionally engaging with all of these elements. Um, and it's brilliant in that way. Uh, I don't know where I was going. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, uh, I mean, 
you know, I say all the time uh, that when 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 we watch films, it's kind of I'm starting to watch films like like this and just in general with a different lens, I think maybe because I'm getting older and and I, you know, my mortality is <laughs> becoming more prevalent. But films where people are just mowed down and die, I don't like them anymore. It it's it, it feels cheap and it feels um, like those lives were unimportant and unthought of in the filmmaking process of that film. And whereas before it was like, oh, you know, you get you get like this, you know, kind of, I don't know, feeling of, of oh, yeah, OK, yeah, get him, get him. I don't feel that anymore. I feel more humanity in that. And it, it's it's hard to watch that and think that it was done with any thought. Um, and I don't feel like that for this. I mean, I feel like, of course, they have to harden themselves to do the horrible things that they have to do. Otherwise, they can't do them. And this, um, you know, this is our last great war. This is the last time that we fought something that was bigger than ourselves, that was obviously more important and worth, I, I mean, I'm, I wasn't part of it, but yeah. worth all of the agony, right? Um uh, that we had to go through as, as a country and as uh, of the world, we had to defeat um, uh, Germany and otherwise the world would look very different. And it was a terrible thing. So of course they have to harden themselves to do these terrible things, but you can see it weigh on them. So even though, even though, you know, they're, they're killing all of these, these um, Germans, it still hurts them. Even if they if saying terrible things and they're 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 seeming happy about doing it, you know it's killing their humanity. And there's that essence essence in the script, essence in their performance that that tells you that that you can see it through all of the happiness that they're they're oh we're mowing all these people down, you know yeah yeah yeah. But you can still see that their uh, their souls are kind of like dying a little bit. Uh, so in the end, it feels a little bit more like a completion, like they've come mm. full circle and they're and this is this is a natural thing that that should happen now. Now I'm done. I'm, I came here to do what I did. And I, there is no place for me in the world anymore, almost. And it it just felt natural and right. It didn't. That's might be why it didn't feel right for Norman to die, because because he still had part of his soul. You know, he he hadn't killed that part off. I mean, you know, you could make the case also that um, that Boyd, Shia LaBeouf's character, was that's the reason why he was so religious. He's trying to save his soul the, the whole time. He he obviously didn't want to do these things, but he knew he had to. He's trying to 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 save his humanity. But then it's just really interesting. You got Grady, who's just, you know, I don't know if he had one even going into the <laughs> into the war. So good. John Bernthal, uh, you know. He's such a unique character um, actor who can do so much. You can love him in one instant and then hate him in another. And that's just such a sign, of, good sign of a great actor. This was uh, the first yeah. film where I started to like John Bernthal. Like before mm. this, he was, I, I knew him mostly through The Walking Dead. Um, oh, yeah. And yeah. that show I just hated. Like, uh, for a lot of reasons, um, the characters were just unredeemable uh, yeah. for the most part. And I didn't I I don't know what it was about his character there. I just didn't like his acting. Um, and I was like, I don't know about this guy. And seeing them seeing him as this brute, I hated him. 
but I recognize how brilliant he is. And by the end, whenever he has a nice little moment in the, in the, the building with uh, Norman where he's apologizing um, and he's doing it in a very sincere, but a very specific Grady way where he's just kind of laughing. He's like, I'm, I'm sorry. I think you're a really good guy. Like, you, you know, um, uh, and he just kind of just laughs at it. And he's like, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I mean, and you feel the sorrow in him. You, you feel the sincerity. It's so good. It's so good. Every one of these characters, it, yeah. no matter how all the bad things, they get a redeeming moment. Yeah. It, it's such great writing. David Ayer, it just, this is, is a clinic for for how to develop characters you know i saw uh um i've been watching like these uh online acting classes too just to like on the side just like you know learn a little bit more and uh i saw this one guy say you know if you're writing a script you need to and it sounds obvious but unless you do it like you are a script writer you you don't know it you where you're writing a script you need to write a character from the character's point of view not your own Otherwise, at the end, you've got five or six characters who all sound like you because the cadence is a, is a certain way. The word choicing is a certain way because you're writing it as you. You know, if I were this guy, I would blah, blah, blah. Well, you're not that guy. That guy is that guy. Who is that guy? That guy talks quickly. That guy talks with a, an air of confidence. You know, that guy is te- meek and timid. And I feel like this this script is a great example of that. All of these guys are so unique and different and yes it's in the acting of course it is of course they they all have their their past that they made up and everything and but it, it has it was in the writing first and you can tell you can definitely tell and one of the reasons is that moment right it's a great combination of really good acting because he has to deliver in a certain way that still feels like like grady but but in the fact of like giving him that scene period you know it, it just it's a it's a great because because grady needs a redeeming moment he's been t- just a total jerk the entire time especially when emma dies and he's just dragging uh norman away um and not let letting him grieve at all just like no you, you're not allowed you know you you, you just kind of hate him you know and we need to love him because he's about to die yeah. you know and we need to feel it when he does it's and then we absolutely do and oh my god okay the hardest yeah you know what i'm about to say you know what i'm about to say when boyd weeps when grady i can't even talk about it right now without like getting emotional it it, it just is such an amazing moment because you love boyd and to see boyd in pain because of grady all of a sudden makes Grady that much more important and his yeah. death that much more important. Cause that doesn't happen when Gordo dies. Nobody weeps when Gordo dies, well, but we love Gordo cause it's Michael Pena. And how do you not love Michael, <laughs> Michael Pena? Um, but when Grady dies, allowing Boyd to have that moment of, 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 of sadness and seeing that makes Grady that much more important to us after the fact. And then we're sitting there thinking, And then I was sitting there thinking, was there more to Grady that I didn't notice? Was there more? Did I miss something? Did I miss something? Why? Because Grady messed with um, 
with Boyd the entire time. <laughs> at the beginning, he's like messing with his mustache, mustache, like poking at it and stuff. He's like, get off me, man. Get off me. He just messed with him almost like a big brother. And so I wanted, I wanted to go back and watch it again and think and, and with, with love for Grady. But it's too late because he's gone. Oh, just such a great moment. Such a great moment. And that moment, too, where he's messing with the mustache is really funny. Like, it's hard to make a two-hour and change movie and get some sense of the 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 tedious nature of war. Like, it's probably from what I've, you know, heard and gleaned. Um, like, it's it's long moments of boredom with very intense moments of action. And that little ride down the road is a perfect moment of uh they just start talking trash to each other right like does does jesus love hitler you same stupid conversation we've been having three years yes like (laughs) (laughs) but it won't if he repented yes he would be welcome into heaven but you know he won't escape man's justice he's just trying to redeem the fact that hitler's a piece of shit Uh while also acknowledging that yes jesus does still love him like that's a (laughs) Hard discussion for every Christian. I used to have those same like, God, yeah, yeah well, here we go. If no you, one's if happy to hear that, and- that Hitler could be saved. Um, Kill baby Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> but but then the, the conversation about the chocolate, uh, it's this great little moment of uh, would you think Hitler would have sex for a uh, bar of chocolate? And they all bust out laughing. And then we hold uh, and they stop laughing. Right. And then we just hold and they're, they're driving, 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 driving. And then they start laughing again. Like, like it just circles around because that's the way jokes, you know, work. Yeah. Like, we're all thinking the same thing. We're still, you know, well, that's still pretty and, good. And there's, a, and there's a little, it feels like a little bit of a, I want to keep laughing. Mm, let's hold you on know? to this moment. Yeah. Let's hold on to this a little bit. You know, let's bring it back around and give me another five seconds of, yeah. of you know, joy or whatever. And yeah, I love great it. That's, that's such a patient little moment. It's so natural. I just wonder how much of that was accidental and the director just saying, no, 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 let's just, let's just sit and just see what happens. And then they just start laughing again. Like it's, that's a funny joke. Like, uh, yeah. or if it was like, you know, preconceived, um, it's hard to tell because they're all such good actors to me. It feels accidental, but they're such good actors. It may, may very well be in the script. And okay. So cinematography, this is such an interesting looking film because of it looks so contrasty but it also kind of has this low contrast feel to it and it's because of the highlights the highlights are so well preserved they're so pulled down like in the IRE uh, I want to say they're like at 70 75 for the most part there's moments where they they peak higher depending on the the shot and the scene Um, but when you're outside like the highlights are really well preserved and pulled down and the blacks the, the shadows are really low and sometimes crushed and maybe just getting close to being crushed, maybe not super crushed again, depending on the scene, it gives us really low contrast, you know, texture to the midtones while, while um, still giving you a lot of, you know, range in your, in your, uh, the, the overall look of the, the grade. Uh, and it's beautiful. Like it looks great. It feels natural. It feels war. It's very desaturated, you know, um, and looks amazing. The light, I love the the naturalistic lighting. And what's tricky is you start shooting some of the stuff at night, which we only have, what, the one scene at night. 
and you have to find a way to motivate your lighting. And for me, that final stand, really good. When the war kicks off, uh, it's a very slow transition into nighttime. But before we get to nighttime, Nazis start scattering, the SS start scattering, and they destroy that building uh, that they went and checked out earlier. And it's great because there's a story motivation there, right? We don't want Nazis hiding in this building, you know, taking pot shots at us. Uh, so let's take that building out. And that was great. Let's do another. And it sets that building on fire. And so the story motivation also provides a lighting motivation for the night scene because now you have this big raging fire. Now we can just blast orange out everywhere. <laughs> and it it's going to look amazing. And because of all the smoke in the air, we can now diffuse all this you know, fire flame. And now it's just going to look freaking incredible and dramatic. And it's going to look like the entire world is on fire because the entire world kind of is on fire. <laughs> and it's, it's a very well-constructed scene to provide story motivation for your lighting motivation. Um, because otherwise you're, you're faking moonlight and we've seen that so many times and it's fine. It looks good but so much more satisfying in every way to have that fire there and providing coverage, you know, for your, for your cinematography. Uh, I love it. But if you rewind before that setting up and they're waiting like Don's lighting as he's, you know, sitting below the hatch. It's so good because it feels heavenly and it should, he's at the hatch, the hat. That's where all the light is pouring in from. But it feels like a cloud has opened up directly to heaven and God's looking down and it's spilling onto him and then trickling down onto uh, his men and uh, mainly, you know, Boyd and uh, uh, Grady because the lighting for Norman is a little less and it's coming through, you know, the isolates. Same thing for Gordo. But it's just so well motivated for, for Don's lighting to feel like, you know what? the heaven is opening up for him. Um, and God's looking down. This is kind of the last moments. I don't know that that's what they were aiming for. I think at the end of the day, it's just natural, but I, I like that. I feel that way. When I look at that scene, I'm thinking about how do we want this to feel? You know what? Let's make it feel, uh, yeah. Like, like God's opening up the gates because that's what's about to happen here. Um, I don't know. It's, very much West looking at it, but uh, it's a it's a nice thought to have if you're trying to figure out a way to to make a scene feel a certain way. Let's play with it. What what can we glean from the story that we can then imply through the lighting? That's cool stuff, I think. Yeah, man. My other only other thought here uh, is with the sound design, um, the tiger tank. We've been listening to tanks fire off for you know the entire movie. Um, and they're big, they're boomy, big explosions. We see sparks fly when the, that stuff lands. Um, how do you make a tiger tank stand apart as something bigger and more ominous? What's crazy is that they do less. They pull back on the sound design. When that tiger tank fires, it's a whistle with a little rumble of bass. Like it, and they dial back all the other sound design to give it room, to make it feel like it's just eating up all the sound through the lack of sound. Like it just, it's ominous. Like when that thing fires and you hear it whistle, 
Um, and there's just this big hollowness that surrounds it. Uh, it, it feels, yeah, like a bomb just got dropped on your face. Like it's so weird and, and contradicting to everything that you would think bigger gun, bigger sound, right? Eh, maybe not. Let's take this a different direction. Let's say the bullet is so big that it sweeps all the other sound around it completely away. Oh, that's a different thought. Yeah. I don't know, man, that the sound design is really, really good. Um, obviously throughout the entire film, they're finding interesting ways to make every scene feel alive. Um, but that one popped out to me like, Whoa, that's great point. That's a great else. point. And, and the, um, and man, the editing is so fantastic too, just tied with the, uh, tied with the audio. I mean, every time they have to shoot, we need to see it get loaded because we need to be reminded that this is not an automatic weapon this is something that takes multiple men to to handle and and to shoot right you need somebody to load it you need someone to be directing you need someone to be aiming and pulling the trigger um and we need to see that every single time or at least 95% of the time uh, and so the editing for every single shot has to be specific right it has to be timed well the audio has to be there we need to hear the shell being picked up hear it put into the Mm. to the the gun itself hear the door slam and then i don't know this if this is accurate but it's so awesome the on white every time when shia labeouf yells on white and then he it's so like i get goosebumps every time i don't know why i think I think it's because there's Shia LaBeouf. I, I really do think it's because his acting is just so good. And and there's urgency behind it every time he he says it. And there's a little, there's a, just like this, there's so much urgency behind it. it. It's just so, so good. So yeah, the editing behind all of the sound design too is fantastic. So yeah, th- there's literally nothing I don't think that I would d- have done different about this film. I mean, the only thing that felt a little... You know, I'm I'm not sure. Um, is when the when the the Germans saw Norman under the tank and didn't say mm. anything. But I forgive that because he's young. You know, that was what he's I Norman, took... but on the German side. That's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. the what I picked out too. Because he's clean faced. He's young. He's hasn't had his hands dirtied yet. And Norman just ran into himself where maybe the conscience of, you know, soldiers in Germany are trying to find their way out as well. Because at the end of the day, they did like, it's not like every single fighter in Germany, you know, died. No, like people had to come to grips and terms. And I can only imagine what it's like in Germany watching Americans pump out World War II films um, like we're i don't know making bottled water it's just you know by the thousands over here every year you know there's a new you know film where germany's the bad guy like is it passe do you just watch it as a popcorn film um or do you avoid it all together i have no idea maybe one of our our german friends can can let us know how do you respond to world war ii films um but it but it is nice i think to see a glimpse of that from them in this movie where you you just see like he looks and he's almost just kind of entertained by it. Like, ah, little, little, little white boy there hiding under the tank, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you are. I see you. I see you. Yeah. All right. I gotta yeah. go. <laughs> uh, but it, yeah, that is a, it's an interesting moment. And 
I'm glad it's in there because someone at some point would probably want to inspect a little closer, but yeah, why not have it another Norman? Like you said. Yeah. But I agree, man, for now for a movie that runs two fifteen, it's tight. It's not a lot of, there's no fat on the bone. They find a way to get you in and out of fight uh, action scenes and have some philosophical conversations. Ideals are great. You know, um, this is war, you know, uh, that's messy and it's not what you think. It's not what you want it to be. It's what it is. Um, as Grady eloquently put it, like what happened, happened, what's going to happen is going to happen. Um, and the sooner you come to terms with that, uh, the sooner maybe you can get through this war uh, and make it out the other side. I don't know. I'm, I'm glad I've never fought in a war. And if I can make it through the rest of my life without, you know, having to, that I'd call that a good life. Yeah, man. Yeah. But if I, you know, and I've thought about this too, if I were to, I would hope that it would be something like uh, a cause like World War II. Agreed. You know, so all of these, these are the, the greatest generation. These are the guys who, I mean, look, I'm not taking anything away from military now. I think that it's necessary for sure um, and important, but I'm just saying like this, this, and I think everybody would probably agree that this war was uh, necessary. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, was necessary. And for these guys to do what they did in the time they did it with what they had, uh, it's pr- pretty, pretty crazy, pretty incredible. And this, this movie doesn't, to your point earlier, you know, about glorifying war and how a lot of movies tend to inevitably do that. Uh, this movie doesn't for me, you know, like there's no mount of, there's no moment where I'm like, like, yeah, let's, let's do this. It's total opposite of like 300. Right. 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 The point, the point is to motivate you to like, just power through. Like, this is not that at all. That's such a good point because, you know, we did 300 last week and we're doing fury this week about, you know, a group of guys, small contingent taking on a large contingent. And you're completely right. The, emotional result of these films could not be more polar opposites. Uh, you do walk out of 300, one of the punch a wall, uh, you walk out of fury saying, thank God I wasn't there. Like, uh, I, I want nothing to do with that. Um, and just nothing but awe and respect, um, for, for people who have had to do that for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that's, I mean, <laughs> what are you going to recommend this week, Todd? <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so this, this week I'm going to recommend, um, a, uh, kind of a, a classic, uh, I guess I'll say is Francis Ford Coppola's, uh, uh, apocalypse now, which I haven't watched in a while. And, and I need to, I need to go watch again, uh, just a timeless masterpiece, honestly. Um, and, uh, it was really hard for him to shoot, uh, to film, to finish, but he, felt a need to do that and uh thankfully for us he did so yeah apocalypse apocalypse now nicely done i'm gonna recommend some documentaries now before we we started rolling we, we were i was uh complaining about i was whinging um about documentaries just aren't great i think for the last whatever i mean really close to 20 years now not because there haven't been any good documentaries, but by and large documentaries are there to sell and it's hard to sell by being nuanced in your conversation. And so I think a lot of documentary filmmakers are saying, what can I sell 
what opinion do I need to have? And how do I back my way into that opinion? Um, and therefore craft a story that poses as journalism, which is what documentaries are kind of there to do to kind of, for the most part, you know, be a journalistic discovery of truth. Um, when in reality, they're like just preconceived uh, uh, beliefs passed off as, you know, journalism. And, and so there's just very few documentaries that are actually open and just challenging you and without providing you with an answer. That's, to me, that's normally going to be what truth and reality is. It's, it's much more explorative. And to that end, I think the, the one, one of the very rare few places of consistent, great journalistic documentaries PBS Frontline. If you want to get your mind wrapped around something, uh, go look at PBS Frontline and see if they've done a documentary on it. They're so good at not putting their their thumb on the scale of saying of asking questions, interviewing people, and not saying here's your answer, here's what you need to think, here's what you need to believe, and just really letting you wrestle with it. And they're they're not afraid to say this this happened, you know, and, and here's, you know, the, the reality of it, but they'll also complicate it. And if you find yourself watching things that don't complicate the issue for you, fury complicates the issue for you from beginning to end. PBS frontline does a wonderful job of complicating, um, what society would otherwise make you think are very simple issues. Uh, so yeah, uh, check out PBS Frontline. Pretty much any of their documentaries. I've, I haven't watched all of them by far, um, but you know the twenty, thirty of them that I have seen have always been excellent. Go go watch their ones during the Iraq War, for instance, in the early two oh, thousands. Man, like even then they weren't. The whole country was on fire to go to war with Iraq, and here here's Frontline saying, "Well, what do we think about that?" Um, they're just I, they're a treasure. They're an absolute treasure. Yeah. So stay tuned for next week. We are going to take a look at the sequel to this little sci-fi think I can do it. You know, uh, Thomas, the train engine, uh, Dune part two. <laughs> it's, a, it's a train. All right. And it's rolling through, yeah. um, Denny, finally a new Denny film, bro. We were, we're almost out and here we are I with know. the new one. Yes. We're back. We're back, baby. Uh, Dune part two. Uh, take a look at that. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget, drop us a review. We haven't had a new review in like a year. So uh, I'd love to, uh, to to read a new review on the air and uh, leave us a note. If there's something you want us to cover, a film we haven't done yet. Uh, we've done 266 of them now. So uh, maybe there's, there's one. We're left. running out. We're running in low. <laughs> <laughs> Your fire's run low, my lord. Um, yeah. The, and if you want to comment on this episode, you can do that at thepestlepodcast.com slash fury. And our quote of the day today is from Roger Ebert. I've always felt that movies are an emotional medium, that movies are not the way to make an intellectual argument. Tell me about that. That's so interesting to me. And I see what he means. Like, you can make an argument. He's not saying you can't make arguments. He's just saying because of the medium, it's... It's always going to be an emotional argument that it's it's really hard to have an intellectual argument because of the the way you're crafting the movie. Um, and I think he goes on to say in that quote, the director is here saying, 
look at this. Now look at this. Now feel this way. Like how intellectual is that to be forced down a path? Whereas in a, in, like in an article or in a book, uh, there's so much more space for you to pause and to think about and to, and to rebut before continuing. There's no space for that in the movie. The mo- next moment's coming. You, you're, you're on to, and so it's a, a more emotional engagement. It's not to say I think he's 100% correct, um, but I think that's a very strong line of reasoning. And watching a movie like Fury, you can walk away from it feeling very complex feelings about war, and you can have these intellectual discussions afterwards. But I don't think the movie itself has a lot of like you know a, a space to intellectually engage you. Um, they, they, they make an intellectual point and then engage your emotions, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you have, there's no back and forth. There's no back and forth. And, it, and what I love about this film too, is it's not very decisive about its intellectual engagement either. Like you never walk away saying Don was right or Norman was right. Like if you do, man, the world might be a little too black and white for you. Uh, you need more gray um, because Norman's watching this prisoner get killed. Like that's, you can't feel black and white about that. Whereas you're on the front line and people are firing, you fire back. That is black and white. And so I, I love this movie for that reason, because it's not, uh, it's engaging your emotions while trying to engage your intellect. But ultimately Ebert's right. Um, it, it, it is an emotional experience. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think it's an interesting conversation whenever you're, whether you're watching a movie or thinking about creating a story, like how, how much are you engaging someone intellectually and how honest can you be whenever you're trying to make an intellectual film, um, and what goes into helping the audience engage intellectually instead of emotionally. And that's where I think films can start pulling you back from the emotion by tipping their hat to this is a movie Mm -hmm. by showing you a long exaggerated camera move and calling attention to that was a camera move. Look at this cool camera thing. Whenever you do that kind of thing, now you can emotionally pull back. Um, This is again, still part of this uh, subreddit thread that I came across. And there was some really interesting conversations around this idea. Um, And I was like, yeah, that's a, it's a fascinating point of, when to pull someone out of the story. There could be a good reason actually to make someone stop engaging with the story so that they engage with the story on a more macro level as a person watching a movie. Yeah. That was a lot. That's a lot (laughs) going on there. Trying to like follow. (laughs) Right. Um, Because if you do, if you do say in, in you're in the middle of watching a movie, let's say you're in the middle of watching fury and, whatever, let's just say a boom shot creeps in or something that tips your hat. I mean, no one, I don't, I've thought about doing something, something like that where, you know, you get halfway into a movie and suddenly you're seeing the camera crew in a movie. Um, and now you're calling, I've thought about using some of these ideas to call attention to you are now you're, you were emotionally engaged in the story, but now you're, you're consciously aware that you're watching a movie. How does that change the experience of what you're watching and how do you no longer, buy into the story and call attention to the idea that the filmmaker is forcing you to engage. Like, I like all that kind of intellectualizing of a film. Um, and there's other ways to do that without being so on the nose, um, that suddenly you hold on a shot too long or 
do some fancy camera move, uh, strip away the sound. Um, there's ways to get people to eject and start to say, oh, how do I feel about this now that I'm thinking about the story that I've been forced to watch? Stuff like, and I, I was wondering if you were going to talk about the, uh, or recommend uh, the the new uh, f- film, the World War II film uh, that you've been talking about seeing, uh, The Zone of Interest. Um, oh really yeah, I haven't I haven't been able to see it. Fascinating, and so yeah, there there's ways to make people engage with the fact that you're telling a story, and also engage with the fact that this is a real event. Um, without, yeah, I don't know. Sorry, that's a lot of babbling, but it, this is that's that quote sent me on a whole journey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean. I, it, it makes sense. I've never looked at it that way. Um, I just feel like movies are their own thing. And I like being it like part of what I think movies are great at is the same thing as like, uh, you know, going to see a good concert. It's like the world is somewhere else, you know, right now I'm, I'm here and this is where I'm going to spend the next two hours and nothing else exists kind of thing, or all of my troubles are somewhere else. And, and so kind of like, <laughs> almost don't want that i don't want an intellectual argument <laughs> i'm already exhausted from the day the last thing i want is for a film to be intellectualized to me in a lot of ways unless i know it going yeah, in you know yeah. like you know okay i'll prepare i'll prepare to work you know <laughs> like okay um so yeah I, I, I think i agree to to you know pretty large extent but uh i'm sure uh this is probably a good a, I, I look at it as like a challenge for a good filmmaker We're like okay how can we how can we do this and prove roger ebert wrong you know it'd be that'd be fun and interesting you know so anyway nice. uh dude this has been an awesome episode i uh, when we talked about doing this uh i got really excited i watched it twice and both times i was just, I was just excited to talk about it you know i think it's it's one of my favorite war movies and honestly you know watching it it, it concerns I, I look at it as a as this is a type of movie is like a road back to what movies used to do five, just five years ago uh honestly since covid i mean it, i think i just feel like people have forgotten how to make a good movie like what is what is the deal you know you're the, things are unmotivated like edits are weird um I'm, we're put in in strange places that don't make any sense the shots don't look composed correctly a lot of times and this film is absolutely flawless in all of those things it, it's perfect and i um i hope that filmmakers you know um the big ones and the small ones look at a film like this and they use it as a as a uh, a lighthouse a guidepost to get back to since covid so anyway Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure to subscribe, review us wherever you get your podcasts. It all helps. It really does. And like Wes said, please shoot us a review. We would really love that. And we'd really appreciate it. If there's a film you'd like to see us uh, pick apart, let us know that too. Maybe we'll cover it. Who knows? Until next time, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. On my- <laughs>